0: You're listening to audio from The Village Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or give to our ministry, please visit us at thevillagechurch.net.
1: God called Abraham out of the chaos of the ancient world to make through him a chosen people to bless all nations. Then God delivered his people from Egypt, but they refused to enter into the land set aside for them and wandered in the desert. God gave them the law to consecrate them as his people, and eventually they entered the promised land. But they forgot his law and worshiped other gods. God called judges and prophets to warn and encourage them. He established David as king and there was peace and prosperity, but they forgot him again and the kingdom fell. So God sent Nehemiah to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. He sent Ezra to remind them of his law and the temple was rebuilt. Yet again, they turned from God and embraced the world around them. But God, longing for their whole hearts, called forth his prophet Malachi to remind them of his faithful love and of the kingdom that was coming.
2: Hey, good morning, TVC family. My name is Brian Lopez. Uh, My wife... Whitney and I have the privilege and joy of parenting and ministering to our six amazing kids, um, ages 14 down to six months Owen, Abigail, Braylon, Sophia, Declan, and Corrigan. Um, we have been Village members since um, 2015, almost eight years now. And of those eight years, I've served in Little Village as a lead teacher and coach. Um, And I currently serve as a lead teacher and coach to our third through fifth graders in Kids Village and KV2. Um, We, my wife Whitney, and I currently serve as cohort leaders in the training program as well. Today our passage comes from Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 through 12. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you in your tithes and contributions? You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed." For you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thanks be to God. Well, man, it's good to be back. I missed you. Been out a couple of weeks. I wish the calendar wouldn't have landed like it did because we had to take a two-week break off of Malachi, and now uh, I'm going to come back and finish the book today, uh, and then we'll gear up for an additional service and a new series uh, in the weeks to come. Um, I, I have I I don't still know the right word to explain my own personal experience studying Malachi and then rolling it out to you. It has been disruptive to my own soul. It's a heavy book. I mean, you don't just snatch one of the minor prophets out of the Old Testament so that you can grow the church. I mean, that's not really uh, kind of how the minor prophet works. And yet, uh, I think this book, and I think now if you've been here. It lays across 2023 in this really kind of unique way because in the period that it's being written to, the government was completely corrupt and incompetent and couldn't be trusted to be for their people. And I think, man, maybe that probably mirrors where we are right now. And, uh, you know, well, we'll talk more about that next fall uh, and then might hit Daniel next fall so that we can have an honest conversation about what it looks like to live in a place where The people that are meant to govern and protect you uh, aren't interested in doing that, are interested in themselves. But that that was what was happening in Malachi. So you're like, check, check that box. Uh, The people uh, were were the institutions, including the church, were polluted and not fulfilling God's good design. And I think we can look around at our institutions and go, yeah, we need some reform almost everywhere. Uh, And then on top of that, you had the people of God who, who were half-hearted at best, uh, and driven just as much by their stomach as they were anything else. And and one of the, the reasons I've loved preaching Malachi is it bears its weight on us. And one of the things I wanted to come out of our time in this book, remembering as a community of faith, is that judgment begins in the household of God. And that before we can speak prophetically, which is the stuff we all like, to a culture that's circling the drain, we must first and foremost, repent and renew our own relationship with God and make sure we're walking according to the law of God that we might have at least lives that back up the prophetic words coming out of our mouths. All right, that, that's, Malachi's been putting that kind of weight on us. I mean, I still can't believe you're here. Uh, I thought after week two, we would stop having space problems. Uh, I thought certainly after week three, we wouldn't need the overflow anymore, but apparently there's some kind of masochistic kind of followers of Christ who like a beating because that's what Malachi has been. It just hasn't stopped and today's no different, but just to recap because it's been a couple of weeks. Week one started the way God always starts, with an indicative, I have loved you, declares the Lord, present, past, ongoing action. God always leads with his love. He doesn't deliver his people out of Egypt by giving them the law, and then once they're obeying, it saves them. He saves, delivers, and then orders. This is the rhythm of God. He never begins with the imperative, do this. He always begins with the indicative, and that indicative is almost always I have Loved you. And then week two, we start to get into the disputes between God and his people. The people of God, what we saw in week two is they were bringing sacrifices to God that were diseased. Or um, wounded, or had some sort of deformity, where God's command is hey, you bring your first and best because I've given you my first and my best. You're meant to bring me your first and your best. And instead of giving first and best, they gave kind of secondary don't want it, don't need it. Let me give God the things that I don't really need or don't really want, right? Let me give him, let's use this word, let me give him the leftovers. And God had accused them, you are despising and polluting my name. How? And he's like, look at that one-eyed sheep you're trying to offer to me right now. That's not in the text. That, that's in my imagination, right? But it is. He does accuse them of sickly animals, deformed animals. He, he rebukes them for that and says, you're, you're polluting my name. And then it moves on to the next dispute where th- these men and women were constantly bickering and fighting among one another. They were intermarrying with with those who lived in the land that were not followers of God. And we looked at that, that had nothing to do with race, that had nothing to, that has everything to do with hearts, that are partnering together for the glory of God and the life he's given us to give. And then he, he went hard at divorce. Gosh, I thought I'd shrink the church by 600 people that week. And I was so anxious about that, but it's just in the text. And I fear God more than I fear your attendance. And so uh, we leaned into that. And he's like, man, you're you, you divorcing the wife of your youth for these foreign women right? That you've broken covenant. You love your stomach. You're driven by your desires, not by any covenantal faithfulness. And then do you see what I'm saying? It's just like week after week of this. And then two weeks ago when I was here, they had actually had the gall. I mean, if you put this in a parent-child relationship, you're like going to avert your eyes to not watch that parent handle business, right? Uh, I mean, then they had the gall of accusing God of not being just because they were blind to how their own rebellion and breaking of covenant had led to the mess that they were in. They could see everyone else, like, look at all these wicked people being blessed. They have money and health and beautiful bodies, and look at us. But no acknowledgment of their own part to play in that. And then we get to our passage for today. I'm going to push past just this passage. We're going to walk through this passage, then I'm going to get into chapter four with you. I wish I had another week or two, but that's not the way it worked out. So let's look at how this passage starts. For I, the Lord, do not change. If you ever had time to just think about that for a while, it might lead you to just spontaneously worship. Maybe by the end of this, you might. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, that's huge, children of Jacob, third time we've heard that phrase in the book, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Now, the... the. The writer of Malachi, the Holy Spirit through the pen of Malachi, just did a loop on us. And here's how that works. This little phrase, O children of Jacob, has been used three times. Each time it's used in the book of Malachi, it's meant to reroute them back to the indicative that God begins with. And so he says here, I, the Lord, do not change. I have loved you. I have been faithful. I am here I am not the covenant breaker. Here's the proof. You're still breathing. You're the breaker of covenants. You're the one who betrays. You're the one who turns the back, not me. How dare you accuse me of covenantal unfaithfulness when you're unfaithful? In fact, this little phrase in the Hebrew, turn aside, it's used everywhere else in the Old Testament for altering contracts, the idea is that we as the people of God have entered into this covenant with God and then not long after we demand that God give us all that he promised, we're going to edit out some stuff that we're supposed to do. We're going to rearrange the contract as we entered in. Because when you said yes to Jesus, I don't know when it was, maybe you were seven, we baptized a little kid this morning, flipping awesome, I mean, he's just little, little, uh, just pie. My, every time I see that, it reminds me of my wife who was baptized when she was seven and like Legitimately converted, that, that little. I love that. And boom, baptized. I don't know when that happened to you. I don't know if anybody told you this. When you did that, when you said, I'm giving my life to Jesus, I'm asking Christ to be King of kings and Lord of lords of my life, that wasn't just a, oh, you don't go to hell now. That that was a, you rule and reign over my life. All that I have and all that I am I give to you, and I will follow you and obey you and rejoice in you as the single treasure of my life. That's what you said yes to. And if someone duped you, then, then let me try to just set it straight today. Like what you did in that moment is gave all of you as you understood it to the creator God of the universe. And then what happens is over time, we learn more and more and more about what needs to be surrendered. I've oftentimes um, said out loud here that I had no idea what I was getting into when I said yes to Jesus. I mean, here's what it was. He was like, I'm not gonna party like I did. I'm not going to fight like I did, unless it's legal. And then I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm going to leave the girls alone. That, that was my, that, that was my problem. I'm going to do that and I'll be the holiest man that's ever lived. <laughs> and no one told me that the Holy Spirit was as ruthless as he is. He's like, and about that, and about this, and about that, what about that? Let's get that. Let's move that over here. Let's give me that. And I'm sorry, I'm 30 years in. And I'm like, there are these times, I'm like, I'm doing really good. And a little bit, just open a door and be like, what about all that? I was like, oh gosh, I didn't even know that I was never got all this work to do again. Anybody else? Am I just talking to myself here? Like, what's left? I don't even just take it all, take it all now, please. Right, but it's not. It's a lifelong journey home that's longer in regards to sanctification than we want it to be. And if we're honest, harder in some seasons than we were expecting. And, and this this is what you said yes to. But what I found is that a lot of us, actually we just said yes to our mom and dads going, hey, do you want to come to heaven with us? Or we said yes to, oh man, let me give you my life so you'll fix this. Like some of us, and I'm, I'm not trying to start a fight today. Some of us said yes to some sort of divine being that we can ring a bell and he'll grab us another pillow. Some of us said, I can use this to get what I really want. What I really want is not Jesus is king of my life. What I really want is for him to make me feel better or for him to fix my marriage or for him to help me with my kids or what I, what I want him to do and, and what happens, it's not that Jesus won't work on your behalf. It's that he's not anybody's genie in a bottle. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. And I've said since I got here that the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ isn't that you get an errand boy for your comfort. It's that you get the presence of God regardless of life circumstances, and that will be enough. Like giving your heart and life to Jesus doesn't mean life won't be disappointing and difficult. Anybody want to testify? Life's been disappointing and difficult. Yeah, my hand's up. there have been some seasons. I wasn't sure I was going to make it, Right? Doesn't mean that we don't get sick. Anybody else had cancer? I got my hand up. I'm not, I don't have a right frontal lobe right now. That probably helps some of you. Like, makes sense. Okay. <laughs> right? This is like this light. Like, anybody have a, a tough run in marriage? I mean, my wife's right here. Seven years. We didn't think we would make it. And some of you have been longer than seven. We could just keep going here, giving our hearts to Jesus. Does It's not like this silver bullet that makes life just always happy and smiling. In fact, the Bible's far too grimy for that. And so uh, here's my point. When you said yes to Jesus, you said, "You're the king of my life, and I'm trusting that all your commands, all that thou shalt and thou shalt not, are for my good and your glory, and I'm saying yes, even before I fully understand them. And what's happening in this passage is God going, "I have kept my part of the bargain." I have here, I have saved, I have delivered. In fact, that whole thing that you had to listen to all six of these weeks, five of these weeks before I walked out is just a picture of God's faithfulness. He has moved towards, he gave them the land, he delivered them from slavery, he sent them kings, he gave them prophets, he gave them victory, he provided them food, he gave them a land flowing with milk and honey. He, it's God's faithfulness, 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 and he's going, somebody's broken the covenant here and it ain't been me somebody marked out the contract and wrote some stuff in, and it wasn't me. I have been faithful, you haven't been faithful, and it's with force that he says it. You wanna know about my covenant faithfulness? Take a look around, because I hadn't killed all of you like I did the descendants of Esau. That's his point. You wanna see destruction, look to the nations that I've destroyed. Why are you here? You're guilty of the same things. Now, church, I want you to be encouraged by that. Because as we look out at the perversity of our day, some of us are a little got little got a little bit of that mingled in with us. But you're here. And the book's open. And the opportunity to repent is present. And so God does what he always does. He just lays this unlike unarguable MRI right in front of you. Here's what the scan shows. The scan shows that you're sick. The the scan shows that you're the covenant breaker, that the disease is you, that what's broken is your half-heartedness. You have backed out, not me. And then what does he do? Gosh, the very next line is return to me and I will return to you. Do you want back? It's like regardless of the infidelity, I choose you again. Regardless of the covenant fracture, regardless that you... X'd out and wrote in repeatedly and you won't stop doing it. I choose you again. Return to me declares the Lord and I will return to you. But sometimes when you're so screwy in the head you don't even know how to return. And so this is what the people of God ask in the next. How? How should we return to you? And he answers with two questions. He answers with the tithe which has little to do with money and he answers with living in light of eternity. How do you return to the Lord, half-hearted Christian? How do you return to the Lord, those who are far from God? Sounds weird. The tithe and living in light of eternity. So let's look at the passage. Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test. What? Like you ever heard somebody say, don't, better not test the Lord. This is one of the few places, and by the way, if you know any passage in Malachi, this is the passage you know, and I ain't taking an offering this morning. All right? I'm not. You can just breathe out. You know, some of you like, got your purse a little tighter than usual. I'm not, I'm, that ain't, it ain't about me and you. right? And, and yet in this passage, like you know that don't test the Lord? The Lord's like, try me. Try me. See what will happen. And this is what he says after that. See if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord. Now, a couple of things on this idea of tithing and bringing to the Lord. Here's the the first thing. This passage, I wanna highlight this word. This passage tells the people of God to bring to the Lord not for the church to take from the people. You with me, let me say it again. The command is for the people of God to bring to the Lord, not for the church to take from the people. In fact, throughout the scriptures, there's a great deal of weight and rules put on guys like me about money, specifically about money and how to teach on it and how to frame it and how to invite you into wholehearted delight around King Jesus, right? Let me, let me show you some of this. This is 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or what? Under compulsion for God loves what? What does God want? A cheerful giver. Every time I teach this text, I, the, the Greek word is hilaron. It's where we get our word hilarious. God loves a hilarious giver. I don't even know what that means other than when you get the giggles. and you just like you just want to give it just like brings you so the framework the parameters on me is don't ever talk about or teach money where you're pulling it reluctantly from someone's hand or you're trying to manipulate them with guilt and shame to give because they won't be giving from the spot that God's after because the spot that God's after isn't your money God look at me let's make some eye contact God don't need your money you think God's got some plans he ain't able to pull off because you ain't tithing your little paltry pennies? I think God's like, oh, really got some big plans over here, but sheesh. Spirit, you got the, what, what do the books say? Ah. All right, guys, listen, look. I'm in a bind. Got a little over my skis doing some stuff, you know, over on the other side of the earth, and so I'm really going to need you to come through for me now. That is not, are you see? Like, just not a single thing the Lord needs or desires So the tithe isn't about the Lord, and it's not about his church. It's about you. It's about you. It's about the state of your heart. It's about what you truly love first, because here's the way I would argue. You're already tithing to something. You're already tithing to something. Here's what I could say without fear of getting in an argument that I would lose. You open up that spreadsheet, you open up that budget, you open up that bank account, it won't take you long to see what you love first and best. Just not going to take you long to see what you love first and best. And it might even be something good. You, you might not, might not, right? You might be like, oh, I like expensive pants. Or <laughs> it, it could be something like, I love my family. That's not wrong. The Bible tells us to take care of our families. There's nothing wicked would be unless it's first and best. Because family makes a crummy God crummy family makes a really terrible altar to worship at. Yeah, you, you might. So here's where it, it I've been here t- 20 years in the area now, longer. And it, it has struck me that we can't get out of middle school. We're just having a hard time getting out of middle school in this part of Dallas. Do you know what I mean? Like the sheer volume of debt that we're going into driving cars we can't afford, living in neighborhoods we have no business being in, and and buying clothes. Can I just say, like, stuff has a spiritual power to it. Money and stuff does. Money has a spiritual power. That's how the Bible talks about it. It's not neutral. Stuff, possessions, it, it has spiritual power. And so a funny little illustration I've used for years is if you've ever been able to get a new car, even a new used car, like something happens or like something weird happens to you. Like all of a sudden, like you feel like a better person. Like you get new clothes, a new phone, a new watch. Like you think people, are, nobody's looking at you. You think anybody really cares? They're like, oh man, that, whoever's driving that truck must be awesome. No one's thinking, there's a better chance for someone thinking negatively, whoever's driving that is this. There is. But we can't get out of middle school. God help us. You think anybody's like noticing what you wear and going, that person's got a style. (laughs) Look at me. They're not. (laughs) Right? It's just you wearing some clothes. Yes. But there's this game we play where we're trying to impress people we don't know. And we're trying to look a kind of way so they'll feel some kind of way about us. And and what it's done is enslaved so many of us and it's destroyed so many marriages and it's wreaked so much havoc because money and possessions have spiritual power. And when you treat them like they don't, they'll devour you. This is why Jesus comes at Money as aggressively as he does. Listen, this is him in Matthew 6, 19 through 21 because it's not about money. Listen to what he says. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Here's what he's after. For where your treasure is what? There, your heart will be. There's the bullseye for the good news of the gospel and what God is after. He's not after your stuff, He's after your heart. And your heart is tied to your stuff. That's what he's after. Like where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Not where your heart is, they're your treasures. Like find what's your first and best. That's what you really love. That's what you really worship. That's what you're really all about. You can play all the kind of spiritual gymnastics that church attendance and activity gets you. And God says, show me your bank account and I'll show you what you really worship. It's disorienting, man. I don't like this. Because then the way I work so I'm like, well, gosh, my mortgage is this. Does that mean my house is my, my worshiping? I don't think I'm worshiping my house. You know, they'll mess a guy like me up. When I try to nail things. I need things to make sense to me. But what you see, the thrust of the biblical idea around money and possessions isn't that money's bad or possessions that are bad. It's that you better be careful with them, that they have spiritual power that can devour you, and they do communicate something about where your heart is. In fact, whatever is your first and best, that's where your heart is. That's what you actually worship. That's what you actually treasure above all things. And so, uh, I love this. Um, The Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Philippi, Philippi, the book of Philippians. And the church at Philippi were big kind of financial supporters of the Apostle Paul's ministry. Uh, And he wrote to them this in 417. And I think it's just, it's right in line with what we see in Jesus's words. Philippians 417, he just simply says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. You see the, the argument that Paul's making. He's like, I'm not writing thanking you for supporting me. I am grateful for what you get from giving that orienting, around our li- orienting our whole lives around Jesus as king and the kingdom as the whole point of our lives does something to us, gives us something that we experience in what Malachi says, the doors of heaven opening up and blessings being poured down. Now, some bad preachers will start to talk about how that means you get more money. And you might find somebody on TV talking about seed sowing, You throw a little seed in here and you'll reap a harvest of this. Here's what I will promise you. The book does promise that sowing into the kingdom does reap a reward, but it never promises that that reward is financial in return. It does. It does mean that there's a spiritual benefit in being freed from enslavement to money and possessions, that there's a freedom, that there's less anxiety, that there's more delight, that you're orienting around the things that are eternal and not temporary. That you don't, right? Because when you get that new car, you, you worry about it. You park it a little further out or you ain't get into that space. You're gonna back it in, sorry Summer, back out that way. You don't want anybody to scratch your stuff or that promise that the kids don't get to eat in this car. Anybody made that one? might want to confess they made that one? Kids don't get to eat nuggets in this one. Oh, just three of you? A lot of liars in here. I know what I'm <laughs> preaching next week. Right? But then what happens four months later? Oh, that spiritual power wore off, like throwing nuggets back there, <laughs> squirting sauce. Right? This is how the, the Lord wants freedom for you. And how is freedom given? Bring your first and your best. And that's what the tithe is all about. The tithe is actually established back in Deuteronomy 26. Where God gives the people, first and best, God always starts. God gives the people the promised land of land flowing with milk and honey. A kind of wealth that they couldn't have imagined coming from being slaves in Egypt. And he says, here's part of our contract. I'm going to drive out your enemies. I'm going to establish you and you will bring the first fruits to me. You will bring the first and best, both of the vine, of the land, and the of the animals, you will bring them to me as an offering to me. This is why it was so deplorable early in Malachi when they're bringing malign, sickly sheep to his altar. It wasn't first and best, it was throwaway stuff. And then he commands that they tithe. And, and it's rooted in uh, gratitude and it's rooted in uh, God's preeminence. Not trying to put God in our debt. We're not giving the tithe to him because he'll owe us in return. It, the tithe is like first and best because all I have is actually yours. It's all yours. This is just me going, so with my first and best, let me show it. Let me show it to me. Let me show it to my own heart by, by taking this, this chunk and just handing it to you and, and trusting you to use it as you would see fit. I'm not in control. You're in control. I can't provide for me like you can provide for me. All that I have is yours. I hand it to you symbolically in this And when Jesus is teaching about the tithe, he does not remove the tithe from the people of God. We see that in Matthew 23, 23. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. Here's the key to my point here. These you ought to have done without neglecting the other. So his argument against the Pharisees is that uh, externally they're doing kind of the, um, what I was alluding to earlier, they're giving the tithe but their hearts are far from the Lord. That they're tithing on their wealth but the real aspects of the kingdom which according to this passage are justice and and grace and these things that that Christ, he doesn't say, do these, don't worry about these, I got you. He said, no, you should have been doing that. That's the law. But the law outside of your heart is not what I'm after. And we know this as Christians. If you've you've read Matthew 5, you've ever looked at the Sermon on the Mount. What's the Sermon on the Mount except God ruthlessly letting you know? He wants your heart. right? Where he says, you have heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I say, if your heart's all lustful, you're not free. I want your heart, I want you to be free. You have heard it said, do not murder. But I say to you, if you're angry in your heart then you're guilty. I'm trying to heal your heart, not just get external moral action. That's important to me, but, but that needs to flow from a pure heart. And so this is in that same line, that, that more, more than the tithe, this kind of moral, check this off my box, it is a visible, at times painful representative that I have a king and I am not him. That someone rules my life and it's not me. It is a glad celebration that I don't have to create my own moral reality, but I have one who has done it and living his way orders my life around ultimate reality and not the nonsense that I see all around me. And he says in the text, here's my, there's this, when Jesus is about to ascend, you know, he gives the great, commission, right? Go into all the nations, uh, you know, and, and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it's that next line that sometimes we've got, teaching them to command all that I've obeyed or to obey all that I've commanded, not command all I've obeyed. That, that'd be dumb, but the other way, right? <laughs> and, and so here, here's what I think it looks like to obey this passage. Return to me, declares the Lord. How? Stop robbing me. How have we robbed you? In tithes, and offerings you've robbed me. Test me in this. What's obedience to this passage looks like? It looks like for those of us who don't tithe, to begin to tithe. We're not a church that's hurting financially and I'm not, I'm not looking to raise our bottom line. This is not about me, it's not about the village church, it's about your heart. You can think I'm all about money and go down the road. This text is following you, it's the book. What does it look to set up a tithe? Lauren and I have it pulled out of our account every month. And then, when something comes in from the outside, from other things, then we um, hop online and, and we take a tenth of that and we hand it over. And, and sometimes we haven't, and I've had to repent before because I've, I've drifted from some of this. Like, there was an extended season where I was like, the stuff I was making here it was just in, but then I had some side hustles and I'd make that side hustle money and then I'd be like, ah, but this is kind of my money because it's not really, it's mine. See how fast that happened? Like, all of a sudden I was Smeagol. <laughs> and then I was. I was on a walk with the Lord out at our little river cabin and he was like, it was this town. I was trying to prep for you guys. And the Lord was like, hey, are you going to you, keep, you keep keeping my money or you can, you can give me what's, what's mine? I don't know how he talks to you. That's kind of how he talks to me. And I was like, oh, and I called LC. I was like, uh I had to repent today and we're going to need to write a check to the church. <laughs> and, and that's how we've done it. We, we get our, like what I, what I make that's auto-deposited in my account, it, there, there, it gets drafted here. And then when the outside money comes in, we either write a check or hop online and, and do it. And this is, all I'm doing in that moment is saying, my life is actually yours, it's not mine. All of this is actually yours, it's not mine. And there have been times that we've been pinched there have been some times we've been pinched. Gosh, right now we got a wedding, got a kid about to go to college, pinched. <laughs> you get something and you're like, oh, praise his name, 10% less than that. <laughs> and it's, uh, and if, you, if you know, you know, like there are these moments you got to choose it again. You got to choose it again and you'll catch yourself justifying. You'll catch yourself. I'm just trying to be honest. I'll catch myself. I've been in it 30 years. I love them. I'm in the Bible every day and I'll feel it. I'll feel a justification for why not now or maybe pay them back later or what. But it's not about the money. I'm not in debt. I'm saying, You're my king. You'll make a way. And, And if you don't, you'll make a different kind of way than I'm thinking. Because I, I have given and not gone out to the mailbox and had a mysterious $3,000 check in the, in the mailbox. I've given and it didn't come. We had to change things. We had to go a different route. We had to, he, he guided us with it. And, and that's what's in view here. So I, what it means to be obedient is to set this up and do it. And like I said, if, if you think we're untrustworthy as the elders of this church, I, you can head on down the road and find out. But this, this passage ain't staying here with us. It's going with you. They might not ever say it, but it's right there. And so, this is what it looks like to obey the commands of God in Scripture. It's not the only thing here, and the second one's so much faster, so you'll be all right. So, how do we return to the Lord? How do we stop with half heartedness? He says tithe. I mean, gosh, like, seriously, if you think about that right now, like that, how disruptive is that? Like, if you don't tithe, like, Most people I know don't just have 10% sitting around free in their budget. That's disruptive. So that's some significant repentance. But he doesn't just say to return to me is the tithe. He goes on to write this way in Malachi 4, 2 through 6. These are the last words that an official prophet for the people of God speaks until John the Baptist is born in the book of Matthew. Malachi 4, verse 2. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. And you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, declares the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. The appeal after the tithe is to live in light of eternity all of us are on a crash course with the creator god of the universe and malachi ends like this that ending is going to look one of two ways complete healing in a way that's hard to fathom in our current state so much so that you leap about like a calf coming out of a stall. Now, I'm guessing you might not have seen that unless you like, saw it on your TikTok or your reels or something. But when calves have been pinned up and you let them out, they dance all around. They might roll around in the grass. It's a delightful thing to be in the pasture when you've been cooped up in a stall when you've got the energy of a calf, right? That'll be your end. Or the other part of the passage is burnt to ash and being trampled on by the hooves of those happy calves. And what God's doing in this point through Malachi is making the appeal. Part of what it looks like to return to me is not just the tithe, but understanding that you're here for a brief second and you should live something bigger than you. You should live for something beyond you. You should live for something that's eternal, not temporary. About, I'm going to end. I'm one minute over, which is, I'm doing better than I thought I would. Well, I'm not done. I think about a month and a half ago, I got a call from Trevor Joy. That's not not common. Trevor calls me a lot Uh, and Trevor was like, like more excited than normal. Um, and so, I mean, he, he was like just spilling, spilling. He's like, have you heard, have you heard, oh have you heard, have you heard? And I was like, what are you talking about, man? What are you talking about? He's like, have you heard what Doreen did? And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he, he started to tell me. So I don't know how many of you got the privilege to know Tiff and Doreen Cothran. Uh, they were like staples at our church, two decades of faithfulness. In fact, some of what you're enjoying at, these are the old days right here. That sweet Doreen in the corner. She's on staff for a while. Why don't we just scroll through those real quick? Boom. Tiff and Doreen. All right, we can keep going. Show that one, the one I love. That's the old crew. A lot of that's still, boom. Now, two things. That is both his size and her size colliding in a way that's not overly helpful. This is a tall man, but Doreen was a tiny, like I could put her in my pocket, tiny woman, all right? And when Doreen went to be with the Lord earlier this year, um, unbeknownst to us, she left the church $1.5 million with this caveat that that only be used for local missions initiatives so that people might come to know, love, and cherish Jesus Christ. And so I wanna give you Tiff and Doreen as a picture, as a picture of what this could look like. They just stopped leveling up, as the kids say. Maybe they don't say that anymore at all. No, yeah, no, no, okay, my bad. (laughs) That's what happens when you try. I should just accept I'm a Gen X or just do your thing. And and so this is what happens when you stop, you get off the treadmill. Maybe my house is good enough. Maybe my car is good enough. Maybe my clothes last a little bit longer than I think they do. Maybe maybe my time, like my treasure, can be spent in better ways. The elders are going to honor what Doreen asked of us. We're gonna spend some of it the way she asked to be spent. There were some ministries that she really loved, some people overseas that she really wanted to make sure got taken care of for a long period of time. We did that. Uh, And then we're gonna set this up like an endowment. And anytime we have the opportunity for major local missions initiative, this endowment will, the money will come out of that endowment. And so I I mean not to exalt Doreen Catherine this morning, but rather give her to you as a picture of a life that sees something beyond itself and a way of seeing money and treasure and time and talent through the lens of eternity. Because she Doreen's Doreen's in glory with her husband Tiff lives lived well and here's and I'm closing with this I promise there are young men and women right now, kids, old men and women right now, who either know nothing about Jesus, who are confused about who Jesus is. That's where I was. I just didn't get it. I didn't understand it. Didn't want to understand it. Maybe even are hostile to it. Who, because of the way the Cawthrans chose to live, will in the next year or two hear the good news of the gospel. They will be fed meals that weren't available. They will be loved in an emergency or in a crisis. They will be provided for around a need and they will hear the good news and they will come to know and love and treasure Jesus forever. And that's the kind of generational faithfulness that I would love to put in your mind and your heart, not just financially, but with your life. We are here but for a second, right? I mean, what is 80, 90 years in light of eternity? Like, why why live for the 90 if the promise of eternity is what it is? So then the second act of obedience, what does it look like to be obedient around that? Well, I think you have to have a really honest conversation with yourself about how much you're living for the here and now. There's all sorts of things in the Bible about delighting in the good gifts of God, delighting in the creation of God, delighting in those things that he's given us to enjoy, but we shouldn't get stuck there and we shouldn't orient our lives around it. That our whole life, wholehearted worship is oriented around Jesus as king, his kingdom as the point, and there should be a way to see that that's true in our lives. Now and after we're gone. And I would love for you to think about your life that way. Here's how uh, I, I want us to end. Get your credit card. No, I'm kidding. Uh, here's how. I just got to diffuse this room. You were feeling a little, you're feeling a little fra- afraid. Um, here's how we're going to end. Um, we're, we're just going to read the generosity prayer together. That's what we're going to do. Uh, we put this prayer in every week as a way to collectively ask God to accomplish something with us as a people. Not just as individuals, but shape us like this, Lord. If you grew up in church, I grew up in the Baptist tradition. I mean, I guess there should be some parentheses around that. We, we went occasionally. and um, they, would, they would do the offertory prayer. You remember that? The, the special. Who grew up in a church that sang the special? Come on. Yeah. Somebody, woo, we might think about bringing that back. Elsie, you want to bring that back? <laughs> and the, the one man or woman, the best man or woman that could sing, would sing a special. And... While they sang that, um, they would pass the plate. and People would drop money in the plate. And I'm not in any way disparaging that. It is a good right thing to pause in the middle of the service and rejoice that he has provided and to remind our hearts that all that we have is actually his. Um, For time's sake, in a place like this, we've decided to do this instead. And so what we're going to do is we're going to stand up and we're just going to read this together. It's like, God, make us a kind of place that's free from the love of money. Make us the kind of place that's serious about, in a very real way, being generous people. Make us a way that hilariously give to your kingdom. So why don't you stand with me as we read this together? Holy Father, there is nothing we have that you have not given us. All we have and all we are belong to you, bought with the blood of Jesus. To spend selfishly and to give without sacrifice is the way of the world, but generosity is the way of those who call Christ their Lord. So help us to increase in generosity until it can be said, that there is no needy person among us. Help us to be trustworthy with such a little thing as money that you may trust us with true riches. Above all, help us to be generous because you, Father, are generous. May we show what you are like to all the world. Amen.